it's gone. It's a grand slam. And that's the ball game. This is the Prospects Baseball Show, your inside look at the boys and girls of summer. Here's your hosts, Dean Millard and Jordan Blundell. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on what time you have downloaded and you're listening to this show. We're just thankful uh, that you have joined us on the Prospects Baseball Show, episode 38. My name is Dean Millard, and joining me from uh, his abode on the phone is the head coach in the AGM of the Edmonton Prospects, Jordan Blundell. Jordan, how are you keeping? I'm doing all right, Dino. Trying to... Not get too excited about this potential MLB season happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're. Uh, I think that's what we're where we're all at right now is trying not to get our hopes up about anything as as much as I guess. <laughs> I guess we're all cautiously anything. optimistic about life. Anything, anything. Yeah, no um, doubt. I mean, they have things have opened up here in Edmonton. I yep. mean, you know, some restaurants have capacity, and I mean, I've been going to the grocery store here ever since everything shut down, and. Yeah, we're getting into that phase of we're going to test the test the waters here. So hopefully it all all goes well. Yeah, and hopefully it leads to baseball uh, in our neck of the woods. Today we're going to talk with Sam Cosentino. Uh, you know him, the listener knows him uh, from the CHL on Roger Sportsnet. He does a damn fine job of that. Uh, he would join myself and Guy Flaming all the time on the Pipeline Show when we used to have that going. But he also has a large baseball background. He worked in a in a, the visiting clubhouse for the Blue Jays at 16 years old. Like that's that's a dream job, hey dude. Uh, it's all downhill after that. Dude. <laughs> yeah, after you're hanging out with Don, Don Mattingly and Wade Boggs, it's all uh, downhill. But then he went to college, played some baseball in uh, in Michigan at Spring Arbor, uh, did some expos and Blue Jays games. Uh, so he has a, a wide history when it comes to baseball. So Sam's going to join us. We're going to chat about the Major League Baseball future, whether there is one for this year. Our top five today is team and seasons you want to see as a last dance type series that uh, wonderful jordan series that's on netflix right now all eight episodes are up there uh, i don't know i think we're at about the same spot i have two episodes to go i tried to watch all four of them last night and i'm like i'm getting too tired and i want to enjoy it so i've got his baseball uh episode and then the final one whereabouts are you same spot well, I think they got they did nine and ten. You might be four episodes back, you know. There's there's ten episodes. I thought there was only eight. No, they came out. There's two more. This is oh. a wrap up. So I've got two more to go. I, I typically watch them Monday evening. Okay. So um, I think that that's going to work again for me. I mean, I'll end up rewatching it. I I absolutely love that. Uh, not just that it's Jordan and the Bulls and and you know I. I was growing up during that time and I had the sleeping bag and the big poster. Uh, but what I mean is I love the storytelling of teams and sports and individual players and dynasties. And frankly, I think that ESPN missed the boat on this. They did it a little bit with 30 for 30. They should just have ESPN Nueve, the Niner, which is just storytelling stuff like last dance, stuff like 30 for 30, you know, inside looks at this side and the next thing they should just dedicate a whole sports channel to telling stories 
from all sports like that. That's how good this has been. I love the last dance. It's been awesome. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I tried to do. I watched uh, a bunch of them and then I was saving them for when it was finished. I, I guess I just have a few more episodes. I, I'm, I don't think that's going to be a problem for me that I'm going to, no. I'm going to have a problem <laughs> with. So we're going to give our top five baseball ones. When we originally did this, you tried to sneak in an oiler season into the <laughs> baseball show. So it's interesting. Your pick was the, the Oh six oiler run. So I want in, in one second, I want to hear why, but I would go with the 88 knowing Gretzky, knowing it was his last uh, cup with the Oilers and he did that uh, the team pitcher and just to see all the stuff went on before that trade I would go with uh, 88 why would you go with 06 where they didn't win yeah I was at game 6 of the, the, the cup final the electricity in that building it was amazing. the whole run it was amazing the whole run was a, for some a little bit Cinderella I honestly felt like they had a good enough team to win the cup, not just because I'm a homer. When they made the deal at the deadline for Rollison, which at the time was somebody I was lobbying anyone who would listen to get a goalie, get Dwayne Rollison, he's available, get this guy, get this guy. You know, when you're talking with your friends about, you know, trade deadline speculation, I'm like, if they get Rollie, they're winning the cup. And then it dang near happened, so... <laughs> You know, I was pretty invested in it for a couple of reasons. One, I'm a, I'm a diehard, love the Oilers. Two, I predicted a trade that actually happened, you know, of the thousands of trades I predicted that haven't <laughs> happened. You know, I got one right, it happened, and it almost propelled him to the cuff. The injury in game one, um, the upsets all through the round. And the other thing that gets overlooked is that they're coming off that lockout, and Kevin Lowe, brought in some older players, Kaka and Pronger, and then and, and at the deadline he brought in some other guys, spot check and everything. And Samson in my yeah, and in my opinion, it took those older players. The younger guys were flying at full cylinder right off the hop, but it took the older players half to three quarters of the season to get their playing legs again, to get everything cooking on the you know, the right temperature. And that's when the Oilers started taking off, and they brought Rollison in at that time, and boom, they they weren't a, they weren't a 16 seed at that point. Points wise, they were, but level of play, they weren't. They were flying high, they were catching their stride, and they really caught the momentum. So, you know, being a fan, obviously, of the Oilers, I, that's that's the reason behind me wanting to see the the story behind the 06 run. Well, the 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 one reason I would want to see the 06 run is two words: Chris Pronger. Uh, because he, yeah. he he was the reason they were so dumb. He controlled the game, yep. but also all the yep. stuff that was going on behind the scenes yeah. uh, with him asking to trade. So that, so that would be good. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find the prospects on Twitter at EDM Prospects. Uh, you can find Jordan at Jordan Blundell 4. I'm at Duck Millard. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Prospects Pod. And uh, the websites you need to know for all the update uh, updated baseball information, prospectsbaseballclub.com and prospectsbaseballshow.ca. All right, let's get into things and let's go around the horn. Hey, bada, 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 so bada. God, I'm looking at the curveball. Let's go around the horn and get the big news in baseball. Oddly enough, oddly enough, around the horn is one thing they are asking Major League Baseball players not to do uh, if there is a return. I mean, you know, we're going to get into the in the interview with Sam about like the the no spitting rule, and we might talk about it here. 
Um, but the around the horn is something that's ingrained in a baseball player. So I, that, that, that might just be automatic uh, when there's a strikeout or anything. So we'll get into that in a second, Jordan. But uh, I just want to ask you if there's anything new uh, on your front. Uh, this kind of reminds me of when you guys were going through stadium negotiations and you know things were up in the air. It, it's kind of the same thing, except everybody is up in the air. Um, are you guys still in that holding pattern, waiting to see um, you know what is allowed and what isn't allowed and, and what, what if you guys can move forward? Yeah, exactly, Dino. There's, there's been some work done at the, at the leadership level of our league to um, put some information, put some documentation together about a, you know, a safe to-play type uh, program and, and what that would entail. And um, you, you, The plan with that would be to present it to government officials and and that's that's for playing wise. It doesn't include the fans. I mean, that's that's not going to happen. But um, you know, just to to continue down the process of doing what I guess what whatever we can to put ourselves in a position to potentially play is where we're at as a league at this point. Uh, you know, there's 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 still runway left. Um, you know, I think the the amount of runway is diminished a little bit here. Um, over the last little while, the, the border closures extended to June 23rd and, you know, self-isolation and traveling and all those kind of things. So, you know, definitely remain hopeful and, and you know, at, at this point, remain hopeful for uh, the, the viability of franchises to remain in their uh, markets and to be able to withstand this, uh, you know, if the worst case scenario does come to fruition. Uh, for us to be able to withstand it and, and be able to come back and and provide provide the sport of baseball at this level to our fans, um, and, you know, we talked talked about this last time, Dino. But you know, I've talked to a, a, a few people now on social media. We we highlighted one of our players uh, being named Male Athlete of the Year at his school. That was Travis Hunt mm. at University of Benedictine in Mesa. Uh, we highlighted one of our other guys, Tyler Maskill, was named to the all-district, all-academic team, which is a cool honor. Re- really great job on Tyler's part. Um, you know, and, and there's been some communication with some fans uh, just because of those social media posts and, and some dialogue. And, you know, it just, it just reaffirms how much our fans mean to us. And, and you know, them missing the opportunity to come down to the ballpark, you know, it's, and and I guess that sport isn't the most important thing here, but we're we're on the, the baseball podcast, so we'll talk about it as if it is important because it is important. It's mm-hmm. part of it's part of people's lives, and um, you know, for for our fans to get out to a few games this summer um, and, and get to experience that and get to to bring that energy and, and our guys and, the, and their experience seeing you know three thousand people on opening day and the energy. Um, you know, I feel I feel sorry for for baseball in general, and that that's the the big part of that here in this city is is our fans, our fan base, um, interacting with them, man. And it's been cool. It's been cool to, to have a little bit of dialogue back and forth, uh, you know, in the DMs. Um, but I'm gonna miss uh, that connection if it doesn't happen. And um, you know, like I said before, man, like the the fans are what makes baseball special here in, in this community. Um, you know, we, we, we work hard to create that relationship with our fans, but, but without them, we don't have what we have here. And, and we feel like there's something special here in Edmonton and, and that's because of prospect fans. So a little bit sad, hopefully we do get to see fans this summer, but, uh, but if not, we'll, we'll obviously stay in touch with them and, and continue the, 
promoting our players and the DMs and the private messages back and forth from our fans. And, um, you know, hopefully we get to enjoy each other's company again here at some point. Well, there's this weird misconception out there that if you miss sports, you're somehow not taking COVID-19 seriously. Yeah. Not, not everybody is saying that, but there are a few people that when you talk about, you know, I miss watching Clayton Kershaw. Oh, well, you think we should just be playing? Be- no, that's not what I said. You can miss something and still be concerned about everything that's going on. And, you know, for, for Major League Baseball, they will rely on gate revenue for about 40% because they have a giant TV contract. The WCBL, unfortunately, does not have that big contract yet. So you guys are a gate-driven league. Uh, so that's where you have to to weigh the options. Major League Baseball, on the other hand, Jordan, is doing that just now the owners have proposed an 82 game season uh, the players are mulling it over if there is there will be some new rules and i'll run through some of these uh, a few Let's at a time it. and you can give me your thoughts on them so uh no spitting no hugging you get dressed at home you don't use the shower facilities at the ballpark no sauna steam rooms or cryotherapy chambers uh do you think that's doable uh-huh. <laughs> let me preface this by I think anything's doable sure, now sure. the reality of of no spitting yeah it, it, in concept it's a rule yeah it's gross don't spit like I get that side of it uh, but I've also played baseball and, and unfortunately for the the naysayers of spitting I'm a spitter like there's times where I spit because I need to I, I maybe I don't need to maybe it's in great I don't know it, it's it's Part of the game, unfortunately, you know, you get some something caught up in your lungs and, and you're playing, there's dirt and there's, you know, you're sweating and all sorts of different things. So it ends up being something that happens. Now, to how are you going to regulate that? I'm not sure. Um, I'm willing to try anything. To, if it were me, willing to try anything to make it work. So, yeah, I can I can see. Let's, let's put it in there. It's maybe definitely frowned upon. Um, there's some things that, that I hope don't extend past this year. Uh, like the no hogging, no high fives. I understand the, the, the concept behind that because of what's going on right now with this pandemic and the virus and the transmissibility of the virus. I get that. Okay. Um, but I don't want to see this be something that once we get on the other side, and I, and I truly believe that we'll get to the other side of this and, and we'll be able to return to some form of the way things were not that we have to be exactly like we were but high-fiving and hugs and, and camaraderie is part of the game so what makes sports fun every sport has that um so uh to do it this year fine you know i, I think long term what we need to get back to having that be part of everything uh the one i loved you know no shower facilities mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you're an eight-year-old kid you got your skates on with the skate guards at home. You get dropped off 15 minutes before the game, and you you go right onto the right onto the ice. And sometimes you forget to take your skate guards off, and you're slipping and sliding everywhere. That's right. um, like the dirty uniform men. Uh, we have to do this in the WCBL at times, where we we don't shower after a game. We're on the road. We're coming back from you know one of the furthest places, and it's going to be a long ride. So it's just like get on the bus. Um, and I don't even play, and I don't like it. Like I, I like getting a rinse after, uh, after playing. So, um, that's going to be a tough one, man. I mean, I guess they're not going to be too far away from their, their hotel and whatnot. So you, you do what you got to do and everybody's sacrificing. It's not the hugest sacrifice. I just think that one's pretty funny. 
So, um, so. The, the one thing I know about baseball is that, you know, you're, you're spaced out, uh, pretty, pretty much already. Um, you know, uh, first baseman, second base, you're, 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 you've got enough space. Now, when you're turning a double plate, are you, are you allowed to slide and take the guy out or, or is that getting too close? Like, how do you do mound visits when you don't want the guy on second base to hear what you're talking about? And you're, you're six feet apart. I mean, there's, there's some interesting things that are part of baseball, um, that, you know, or maybe everybody has to wear a mask. I'm I'm not sure, but how do you do a mound visit six feet apart? Yeah. Um, good point. You know, I think there's some things, uh, for me as a, as a baseball fan and, and someone that, you know, obviously loves the game, there's some things that I don't want to see, uh, be messed with now. Yeah, I'm sure they can figure out mound visits and, and maybe they go back. Maybe the Astros have set to tell maybe we can do this with microphones and, and different things like that. You know, maybe that's one way to do it this year. I don't want to see that be the permanent solution. Um, but, but anything that affects the integrity of playing the playing of the game, like sliding into second base or diving in head first on a, on a pickoff play. If, if there's anything that upsets the, the, the rhythm of how the game is played, I, I, I'm not a big fan of that. I, the game, the integrity of the game between the lines needs to remain. There's some things that you can tweak for sure, and I'm all for that. Um, like, don't throw the ball around after a strike. But that's something that, that college teams that just give it right back to the pitcher. Fine, cool, no problem. But as far as if we have to tailor slides or we have to do some different things to to play the game, we're going to have to change the, the 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 foundation of how the game is played. I, I'm not for that. So. Hopefully nothing here is suggested that, you know, affects the actual integrity of the game. Mm -hmm. Some of these things are no brainers and, and easy to do. No eating at restaurants on the road. So that that's fine. You can get <sighs> catered. Uh, there's no mascots because there's no fans to entertain. So that's, that's fine. Um, you know, there's a tradition of exchanging lineups. Okay. You do away with that this year. You get back to it after same with high fives and, and fist bumps. Uh, I'm not sure what the roster limits are to be. I've, I've heard 50 uh, for spring training, but this next one is interesting. So here's a, here's a few that I dug up bullpen pitchers to wear masks, managers and coaches to wear masks in the dugouts. That seems like it uh, is, is easy enough. Phones disinfected in the bullpen and dugout. That's fine. No touching your face to give signs, no licking your fingers that's going to be interesting because guys are so used to doing that, particularly pitchers, uh, no touching the face to give signs and no licking fingers. Do you think that's going to be a tough adjustment for people to do who are just automatic with it? Yeah. A great point. It's force of habit. There's yeah. a, there's a few things that are just force of habit that, um, you know, a pitcher wants to get a little better, uh, situation on the baseball, you know, lick your fingers, mm -hmm. rub the ball up, get a little better grip. And, um, you know, part of my sign sequences involves involve my face. So for me, it would be uh, something that would affect my signs. You know, I mean, obviously you can make a change, but, um, you know, there, there's some sign sequences I've used for a while with some variations that, that include touching my head and face. Mm -hmm. So um, that would be uh, a little bit of a challenge. They're definitely not the, the, the biggest hurdle to overcome, but for sure there, there's some some habitual things here that right. they're looking at doing away with. And that's, that's my concern long-term is that whatever we have to do to get it done this year without damaging the actual gameplay, 
I'm all for. The game has to remain the same, but we can do some other things to change it. But I want to see these things be able to come back in the game. And, and whether they can or not, you know, it's obviously outside of my control. But there's some things about baseball that make baseball baseball. Um, and and you're, you've suggested and listed off some of those things that, for me, are little parts of what makes baseball baseball. So uh, definitely interesting. And, and, you know, maybe that maybe it'll be things that we'll have to adapt or die with. So, yeah. um, I mean, for me, I love the game. I'll, I'll make the ad- adaption. But um, if we're not allowed to hug dudes and go high five next summer, man, there's going to be some, we, we got to figure something out. Yeah, I think it would be weird. Like you look at a sport like hockey where you drink out of a water bottle and then you spit it out on the ice. I mean, you know, the celebrations after a goal, you're going to have to have six feet celebrations where you're not, uh, you know, a team wins the World Series and you got to celebrate. I mean, these are all, I'm being a bit facetious. And like, I think these are things that hopefully do return uh, to our life. Um, balls being thrown away after several different touches. That seems logical and smart. That's one of the rules. No around the horn, as we mentioned. Uh, the universal DH is expected to happen without a fight. That's something, Jordan, that might stick around after this because the union has always been lobbying for, for the DH because... You know, it's going to create another fifteen jobs. Yeah, no, I think the, I think that, I think you're right. I think the DH is here to stay long term. Too much money tied up in yeah. pitchers, yeah. And, and and more jobs for the union. Yep. And, you know, like I, I'd love to see Jacob Degrom go yard once or twice a year. Like I love it, sure, great, it's awesome. And, uh, but we're also going to love, you know, David Ortiz hitting in both leagues, mm-hmm. dropping thirty five and one twenty, and and being a, a, you know, a bad man type thing. You know, so. Uh, I, I don't think it'll take too long to get used to having a, a legit hitter in the middle of the lineup of everybody's teams. I love, you know, as much as I love the pitcher laying down a bunt for uh, the sack, uh, you know, I think uh, a guy looping a double uh, in a right field would be just as exciting. So I'm, I, I love the traditionalist, loves the D, the non DH, but uh, for the betterment of the game, I think the DH could uh, be here to stay. Now, what do you think about the notion that there are some players that have decided? they might not want to play because of concerns over their safety. I I would find it hard to fault them. Um, do you think that will actually happen? Do you think there will be players that are like, yeah, no, I'm not playing? Yeah. Uh, yeah, good question. I, you know, who knows? Um, I mean, I know that uh, some conjectures come up here with, with Blake Snell here recently and, and uh, Bryce Harper defending them. And, it and, did not go know. over well, did it? It did not come across well, did it? No, and, and, you know, Blake Snell has already taken one position in March, and, and now he's taking a different position mm-hmm. in, in May. And, and you're allowed to change your opinion, but um, I, I just think that, that blanket statements like that really don't serve a purpose uh, as far as working towards a common goal, whether it can be achieved or not. Um you know, without knowing all the details, you know, Blake Snell goes off on a rant and, and he's entitled to, and, and I don't necessarily disagree with his opinion. Um, but I think that there's, there's a, a will between both the players union and the owners to attempt to find some working conditions and salary structures that works for everyone, uh, considering what's going on right now, mm-hmm. uh, whether it does or not, that's a different story, but we're not even at that point where, where these, this is our final number, take it or leave it. They're still in the negotiation phase. So, um, you know, it's good to hear players speak their mind. I appreciate that. Um, I think that there is common ground if they can find it. 
to be able to, to play the sport they love. And, and, you know, there's some adjustments to what has already been um, suggested as how this will play out. So I think there's, there's still quite a bit of game left as far as how they figure out how to get MLB games going. But I think it would be in the, the best interest of the sport uh, on, in, in the grand scheme of the long-term vision for them to find a way to make something happen if and when they're completely allowed to, that when they're allowed to, they're ready to go and they get something done. Well, it would be disastrous if if a labor dispute followed COVID-19. <laughs> I mean, they would just be, everybody yeah. would hate. Like it, it, optically, what Blake Snell said looks so terrible right now. The unemployment rate in Canada and the United States is sky high. Uh, small businesses have gone bankrupt. People have lost their jobs um, by the hundreds of thousands. And here's a guy saying, I want my million dollars to go out and play. And people are like, dude. Uh, this nurse down the street that, uh, you know, her family is grieving because she passed away trying to to treat these people. Do you know how like, she made such a small amount of money compared to these guys? So just optically, it just looked terrible. I mean, you just can't be saying stuff like that right now when there's so many people, um, you know, financially um, sick and ill right now because of this. And, 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 you know, the owners are saying, they'll lose 640,000 per game without fans. And, you know, baseball players historically have not trusted owners. They're for the most part, they're private. They don't have to divulge. There's been a lot of bad blood between the owners and the players. Um, you know, the players offered prorated salaries. Now the Oilers uh, owners want profit sharing. I can see where the players are upset about this, but for this one season, everybody just has to suck it up buttercup and get out there and play. Yeah. Um, at a, at a fair, at a fair deal just for one year, Jordan. I know. I know. I know that's the tricky part of this. And, and there's definitely uh, the comments that were made last week are, are tone deaf to the reality of mm -hmm. North America for sure. Um, but you're allowed to say it. So, so sure. be it and, yep. and whatever. Um, yeah. The, the labor situation and on the player in defense of the players, um, to allow some sort of cap that they've fought their whole PA existence against to allow that to come in. Um, it's it just like everything. Once you let something in, it's pretty tough to get rid of. And well, unless you have it stipulated, this is for this season only. Granted, granted. Um, but for them to allow that to happen, there, there's years and, and, years and, and sacrifice made by players in, in previous years to never agree to that. So I, I see if we're just talking, you know, complete honesty, I see where they're coming from and not wanting that to be the case. And having said that, I still think there's common ground. They can find a way to change the wording, change the verbiage, figure this out to make it work. Uh, but I do see where they're coming from as a players union as far as what they will and won't let happen uh, and the wording that's going to be used. So um, they know A-Rod came out with and basically said, you know, let's just get it figured out for this year and play. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's fair enough. Uh, but when you're part of a union and you want to prevent one thing from ever happening, and that's the one thing that's being suggested you do right now, 
that is a quandary for them. So I get where they're coming from. It'll be interesting to see the dynamic of these negotiations. It'll be a disgrace if these two parties don't play a baseball season, if they're allowed to play a baseball season. If, if you can't just agree to the, you know, the worst possible thing that you hate the most for this 82 game season, that's going to happen. Then it's a disgrace and they should all be shipped to an Island and let them squabble there forever because I will be so <laughs> pissed off, man. Uh, but anyway, I want to get onto history class and uh, things that right. happened on this day. Uh, 1937, the great Brooks Robinson came into this world. And in 1946, yeah. Mr. October Reggie Jackson was born. So a couple of uh, Hall of Famers born on this day. Uh, A guy that made his debut in 1990, Todd Hundley of uh, the New York Mets. You remember that guy? Oh, definitely. Some power, some pop. Yeah, behind the plate uh, with the Mets. Uh, A guy who played, uh, two guys who played their final games on this day. Uh, Nails, Lenny Dykstra in 1996. Uh, Of course, he was a member of the the Phillies team that uh, took on the Jays. And and Kerry Wood on this day uh, made his uh, final game, and I think it was 2012. Did you know he struck out his final batter? Do you remember that? His his son was on the field and embraced him. And, you know, this was a guy who came in with a bluster, I think 20 strikeouts, and goes out with a with a strikeout. It's kind of fitting, isn't it? Oh, yeah, he's a, a strikeout machine. He's, he's had one of the, the greatest performances on the mound ever with that 20K uh, game. I don't remember that final game for him, but uh, Lenny Dykstra, man, um, had some issues off the field, but as far as yeah. a baseball player on the field, I love the way Lenny plays. Well, what a great nickname too, right? Nails. Like yeah. this guy's yeah. tough as nails. Um, on this day in 2000, I picked this one just for you in a six, two <laughs> loss to the Padres, the Marlins stole 10 bases. I don't know how you steal 10 bases and only get two runs, but they were one shy of uh, the National League record. Louis Castillo had three. Cliff Floyd had three. Preston Wilson had a couple. Mark Kotze, a name from the past, had two as well. They were the top four batters in the Fish lineup and were responsible for the grand theft, but nobody could drive them in. You know, when they see a stat line like that, like you don't, you score two runs, but you stole 10 bases, Yeah. the first thing that comes to my mind is, this is youth baseball, and somebody's mom was doing the scoring. Like that wasn't a celebration. Neither was that. Neither was that. Right. Everybody, everybody hits four hundred in the lineup. Yeah, that's a really weird stat. You know, that I mean, they basically stole both runs. You know, mm-hmm. they they stole ten bases. So, mm-hmm. you know, four bases is a run. Four bases is a run. So they should they should have lost six to two and a half. That's right, <laughs> something like that. Uh, two years later. Pedro Martinez has an immaculate inning. For those of listeners who don't know, that's nine strikeouts. Uh, that's all. You strike out every, uh, all three batters with nine, nine strikeouts. Pitches. And here are the guys that he struck out. Ichiro Suzuki, who, uh, uh, you know, at one point in his career, you'd say was a pretty average hitter. I mean, the guy hit it everywhere. Ichiro was a monster. Mark McLemore, Ruben Sierra. Not exactly 7-8-9 in the order. An immaculate inning against those three guys is even more impressive, isn't it? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, nine pitches, three strikeouts. I've seen it once in person. It was on a youth trip to Toronto. Wow. Uh, a guy that was pitching for us ended up pitching. This is when we were in, in youth baseball. He ended up pitching in the Oakland A system. It was the seventh inning, so it was the top, top and bottom of the seventh. It was uh, We only played seven inning games in youth baseball, and he got stronger as the game went on, and nine hits, three strikes to end the game, complete game. 
Um, so that's the only time I've seen it live. That's amazing. Um, uh, it's so impressive, just especially against Ichiro, Mark McLemore, and Ruben yeah. Sierra. I mean, those are some dominant hitters. And then two years after that, in 2004, a uh, guy you and I both love, and uh, are, I still would be intimidated to see him on the mound to this day, the big unit, Randy Johnson, perfect game at 40 years old, 14 years after his first no-hitter uh, when he was with uh, Seattle, and he was the oldest one to throw one, and he also did it in both leagues. I mean, for me, you know, Nolan Ryan is dominant, but when it comes to, to lefties, this is maybe the most dominant uh, guy that I remember. Yeah. I mean, if there's guys back in the, you know, the, the 10s, the 20s, 30s, 40s that were lefty dominant, great, but, like, Randy Johnson is in, is in the, the Hall of Fame of Hall of Fame. He's, he's up that echelon. Yeah, he was, uh, and he was one time an expo, uh, which know. so many guys were. Uh, and speaking so of many. that, we're going to talk a little expos uh, with our featured guest of the day. It's Sam Cosentino uh, from Sportsnet, who once called expo games as a play-by-play voice. So we're going to hear the interview with Sam right after we hear a no- new short song. Um, and this is the artist that is writing some songs for the Prospects Baseball Show now. Uh, the artist is Hats Off to Roy Halladay, which is a-, a takeoff Jordan on a Led Zeppelin song. There's a Led Zeppelin song that goes by the name of Hats Off to Roy Harper, who was a folk singer in England uh, that uh, Zeppelin knew. So little play on words, hats off to Roy Halliday. I know you're a big Doc Halliday guy, and uh, I think you like this song. This is a little song from the artist Hats Off to Roy Halliday. It's called The Gambler. It's about Pete Rose. You ready for this one, Jordan? Yeah, let's hear it. All right. We'll hear Sam Cosentino right after we hear The Gambler. Four thousand two hundred fifty-six. That's the number of people's yes in the Hall of Fame. That guy should be. He's got more hits than the great weight balls. Rod Carew and the late I call. All three Coopers down in the Guy. The baseball numbers do not lie Yeah, well, Pete Rose, he's my man But Charlie hustles in the garbage can Sam Cosentino of Rogers Sportsnet joining us on the Prospects Baseball Show. And uh, Sam and I uh, go way back from his uh, days on the Pipeline Show. Of course, he is uh, the coverage of the Canadian Hockey League on Rogers Sportsnet. And uh, today, though, we're talking about baseball because Sam has a, uh, a long background. You will not find any of those stories on Twitter, though, because Sam <laughs> thinks Twitter is a fad. Isn't that right, Sam? <laughs> You know, you know, I had to go on Instagram. Oh, you're on Instagram now? 
Oh my god. Oh, like Sam. Sam so no, has, I'm not on Twitter. Yeah. Still not. I'm not on Facebook. Never have been. It's like this ten-year crusade against Twitter by Sam. Oh yeah, and and I, and the only reason I went on Instagram was it wasn't put in these terms, but I felt the heat that if I didn't do it, I might be uh, my job might be in peril. And who knows the way this COVID thing is going on it may still be anyway. Well, it's a, it's a bizarre situation, but it's good that you're gravitating towards some social media. So, um, I, I, I guess let's, uh, let's just start about, uh, your, your ba- baseball background, because people obviously see you covering the Canadian hockey league and you do a fine job of that, but you were also, um, you know, once part of uh, a lot of baseball, uh, broadcasts as well, and you played it. So growing up playing baseball, you know, when did you realize you might be able to play beyond little league and you also have a unique background of having worked in the clubhouses of a major league baseball team in Toronto. Yeah, I, I worked for the for the Blue Jays starting back in 1987 as a, as a ball boy in the visiting uh, in the visiting uh, side. So that was at old Exhibition Stadium, and um, you know what was interesting uh, about that is um, you know I, I I liked baseball and I played competitively. And I guess getting into that environment kind of fueled the fire a little bit. But it was really difficult to play on any sort of team while you were working there. Um, but m- luckily for me, most of the teams I was on was able to give me enough, you know, at bats and whatever that they could accommodate my, my Blue Jay schedule. And so, you know, kind of getting started uh, playing, I guess it was probably around 17 or 18 when I thought, ah, you know what, I, I think I want to look into this a little further. So, I ended up taking a trip with a buddy of mine uh, to the Doyle Brothers Baseball School in Delray Beach, Florida, and they rated you. And then they'd give you a book upon the end of your week-long camp, and you'd take your rating, and then for me, I'd look in the book and see where schools were rated. So let's say you were ranked at you know, 72 or whatever. So then I'd go through Doyle's book, and they'd have, and I'd find schools anywhere from like 65 to 80 that were in my um, neighboring state. So Michigan and New York in particular, and would extend east. So I called a whole bunch of schools, and you know, there's one school in, in Michigan that seemed like, yeah, they were, they were mildly interested. And, you know, it ended up being a part of the schedule where he happened to be in Canada recruiting some other players. And, um, you know, I was able to, to play in a game and I came, he came up and watched and I played really well. I was four for five, couple doubles, turned a double play, made some good plays in the field and, and kind of offered me a, a spot right there. So it, 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 it was more of a quick realization than anything. Like, you know, you're calling around to these schools. They're like, no, we have no interest in the Canadian second baseman or we have players that are in that position already, or we don't have time to get up and see you. And, and so it was a lot of it was a lot of hard work trying to, to find the right place, and it turned out to be a really good place for me because they had a um, you know they offered a broadcast uh, broadcasting degree, which is what I wanted to do. And they had a radio station on campus, so on and so forth. So it was a more of a late realization. It wasn't something that I grew up thinking that was going to happen for me. But I guess as I worked for the Blue Jays starting at 16 years old, you know, it, it maybe two years later I thought, ah, you know what, I'm, I'm actually pretty good at this, and and maybe I might be able to, to get some help from some players or coaches along the way that might help recommend me. Uh, I didn't end up needing that. Uh, I kind of just 
worked worked on it in my own and, and it worked out okay well, you had an opportunity to work in a major league uh, clubhouse in, in kind of, I think for me was my favorite time of baseball. I mean, RBI baseball, 87 might be the greatest baseball video game of all time. And, and, and that was the year. I mean, the, some of the names that you got to see are the, the big names that I remember from my childhood. I mean, um, you know, the, the players you got to interact with the hall of famers, it must've been just, uh, jaw dropping at some point, but, but you're seeing them often enough that they become no, you know, not, they're not so you're not in awe as much of them anymore. They just become kind of regular people after a while. What was that experience like? Yeah, it was really, it was really neat. It was really like you're sitting there and you're saying, oh yeah, well, George Brett just tipped me 20 yeah. bucks or George Brett just handed me this, this gift certificate to go to you know, a restaurant, I'm like 17 years old. I barely got a license and, you know, I can go out and drop a hundred bucks on a date, right? Because <laughs> I got a, you know, gift certificate in my pocket and do the old, I'll go to the washroom trick, run over to the waiter and say, Hey, take this gift certificate. So the date doesn't see it, you know, right. one of those types of deals. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that the, the amazing, like unbelievable players that had come through at that time. I mean, my gosh. And to think where some of them, you know, got to later, but I have, um, you know, I've got some old cracked bats at home and I go down there and I look sometimes and, and think about, you know, the Harold Baines of the world and the Don Mattingly's and the George Brett's and, you know, it's just, uh, the Don Sutton's, um, all kinds of people. Reggie Jackson was around when, you know, towards the end of his career when I was still there and Robbie Alomar and, oh man, the list goes on and on. And then, you know, not more so when I went to work on the Blue Jay side of things in 1996, I forged a lot of relationships that I keep to this day. And, you know, Roy Halliday, unfortunately, was was one of those guys. Uh, Chris Carpenter is a good friend that I talked to on occasion. Um, Carlos Delgado, Sean Green, Alex Gonzalez are all guys that, you know, we'd be working together in spring training. We'd go out and eat and you know, we'd get an off day at home and we'd play golf or we'd go and have dinner or, you know, I used to drink with some of those guys on occasion when it, when it was appropriate. And so you look back and you're like, wow, but they're literally, they're just friends. It's like me talking to, talking to you, Dino, we've known each other for a long time and mm-hmm. I don't look at those guys any differently. Um, but I, but then you look back and you see Chris Carpenter and you're like, Oh wow, this guy's pretty good. Couple of world series. You know, he's got a no hundred under his belt. He's got a Cy Young under his belt. I'm saying the same thing about Doc uh, before he passed. Just what a what a pleasure it was because I I'd, I'd worked in the clubhouse at the time that Doc was called up. You know, in in '98 there when he had that one hitter spoiled by Bobby Higginson in the ninth inning until he got moved out of Toronto and ended up going to, to Philadelphia and watched him go through the ups and downs and being sent back to A ball and working with Mel Queen and just kind of you know, revitalizing himself, if you will. So it's, it's pretty neat to think about those, a lot of those guys as, as simply being friends and not being, you know, former major league baseball stars. That's a, that's just an incredible path. And, and just the amount of stories, I can't even imagine. Uh, it, it, it's, it's amazing, Sam. And, and I appreciate you sharing some of that with us. Now, get, getting back to your, arrival at Spring Arbor in Michigan uh, down to play college baseball, you went in there with a, a lifetime's worth of, of stories already from your time in the clubhouses. So what was that like when you first got to Spring Arbor and, 
and making friends must have been fairly easy with all the stories you had. But uh, did you head down there as a freshman, and, and what was it like going into uh, a new environment uh, in college baseball? Yeah, Jordan, it was pretty. It was pretty wild because I was a I was small, believe it or not. I mean, you'd never know that from the way I am now, but I was just this <laughs> tiny little guy, 150 pounds. And I, I, uh, there was six other Canadians that were, that were on the team. So that really was kind of welcoming. Our coach is a legendary coach. He's since passed. He's in the American baseball coaches hall of fame, Hank Burridge, who was really influential, uh, in my career and in my life. Um, and, and so to be honest with you, I was kind of intimidated when I went there. Uh, but the one thing that you kind of got past that is I had the best gear. Without a doubt, I had the best gear. Best yeah. shoes, fresh pearl baseballs, you know, wristbands. All I had a whole whack of gloves for every position. So I was dialed in that way for sure. So that took uh, a little bite of the intimidation away. But I remember a good buddy of mine who works as a, a police officer now uh, in Sarnia, Ontario. He, I ended up rooming, rooming with him, and he was like 6'2", 210 pounds. And so the very first day we got there, he's the left-handed pitcher. We kind of go back out, outside the dorm and didn't even go over to the baseball field. I said, you want to throw? I said, yeah. And so I start throwing with this guy, and I'm like, oh, geez, what have I gotten myself into? Like, this guy's just throwing bullets. And so it was a little intimidating when I first started. I'm like, this guy's like average size. I'm I'm going to poop myself here. Like what the, so anyways, it took, it was an adjustment period for sure. I didn't play much my freshman year. There was a, um, a mature student by the name of Pete Wilson from uh, New Brunswick, who was ahead of me at second base. And so I got to learn a lot from him in terms of what the coach was looking for and some of the systematic things that we were doing. Uh, and then after that freshman year, I, I dialed, got dialed right in and, and played pretty much every inning of my three years after that. So down at uh, Spring Arbor, were you guys in the NAI at that point? NAI school. Uh, my freshman year, we we played in the NAI World Series, so that was cool. Although for me, yeah. I only had ten at bats, yeah. so it was like you know you're on the bench and you're in a you know you're in a pretty big situation. But the next year, we went back again, and so this time, you know, as a starter, we went back, and it was that was super cool being a part of the journey to get there in terms of actually getting, you know, a number of at-bats and being able to play second base and so on. So playing in two college world series is definitely the, the highlight of my, of my baseball playing career for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, I was able to experience that in 2004 with the uh, university of Jamestown and, and something that uh, I think would be interesting for, for our listeners to hear about uh, what it's like being a freshman on a team. Obviously there was upperclassmen, so juniors and seniors, but, I want to get into the seniors that go to the World Series. It's been a potentially a four-year run at Spring Arbor. You're a freshman. I mean, you made some relationships, but you don't know those guys as well as the upperclassmen know each other. And the last game happened, and and you don't win. And what those emotions are like for those graduating seniors. We there's guys literally crying, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like. There's no crying in baseball, you know, <laughs> uh, and you know, and and maybe it's because you know, ten at bats, you, you're part of the journey. I mean, you're doing all the stuff. You're packing the bags. You're unpacking the bags. You're practicing hard. You're taking all your reps, your cuts, and BP, and and you know, you're getting into the odd game situation. But you're not as a part of it as the guys who are doing the day to day heavy lifting. 
And so you, you, on one hand, you understand it and you kind of feel for the guy. On the other hand, part of you says, oh, I don't get it. I got three more years. Like we're making it my freshman year. Why can't we get back there again? And it, and it really hit me in my last game as a senior. We we're playing at Aquinas and that was one of our, our big rivals. And we ended up losing, I think it was in the first round of our, um, our, uh, era, uh, what do you call it? The regional. Regionals, yeah. Yeah, regionals. And it ended, and I'm like, oh my God, this is it. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm done. I'm never going to play competitive baseball again. And I I started crying because I'd had a really good year. Our team wasn't as good as it had been the years before. And I was, you know, I was just sobbing. I'm like, holy shit, this is, it's over. This is it. Like, I couldn't, you know, and you think back, could you have done more? And you, live with a little bit of regret. And then after a while it kicks in and you're like, Oh, I guess I'm an adult now. I'm going to graduate and go home and, and get a job. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you did. Uh, you, 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 uh, trained as a broadcaster and then you fast forward to a time where you're calling Montreal expo games. I mean, you, you worked in the blue Jays clubhouse as a kid and now as an adult, uh, you're calling games for for the other team, and and not just any kind of games. Uh, you know, the last uh, few, the, the last season of games, or you know, the the expos are leaving. I mean, first of all, what was it like to call expos games, but also to to see that team ripped away? I I, I felt that as a fan in Winnipeg with the Jets in '96. You know, what was it mm-hmm. like being around the expos with, like, the way you were? Well, it was interesting because we our our contract was to call 30 maybe 35 no no was it is 30 i think it was 35 games um and so the challenge in that is that year with the expos was split as part of their home games being played in puerto rico um so a lot of times we were calling the game from monitor as opposed to actually being being at the big o so that just presents those kind of challenges in and of itself. I mean, you're at the mercy of whoever's feed you're taking, and if they're showing people from all over the map, you better have a pretty good idea who they were. <laughs> so I was lucky enough because I was so close enough to the game that I knew who, you know, if they cut away to Roley Diarmas, the bullpen coach in Philadelphia, I knew who Roley was, and I could, you know, I could have a quick word about him. But it was it was really really difficult. But going there and going to Montreal for the games we did there, it was just this nasty sense of doom. And honestly. It felt a little bit like the Cold War. It's like, here come the big, bad Americans to take away our little Canadian baseball team mm-hmm. that, it, that had given so many people joy in our country. You know, you think back to the disappointment of 81. You think back to Jerry Park and when they came into the league and the, the Warren Cromarties and the Andre Dawson's and the Gary Carters and the Tim Reigns and all the really good players, Pedro Martinez and all those players that came through Montreal was a pretty star-studded organization if you go back and really think about it. So, honestly, that was the feeling. It was like, here's these big, bad Americans who are running this team on behalf of Major League Baseball, and they're going to come and rip our, our nice little Canadian team away. And, and um, so it wasn't, you know, everyone was pissed off. Everyone was sad. Everyone was bitter because they kind of felt like I did the big, bad Americans. And so I never had the same affiliation, but a lot of those people who would worked in the offices and stuff, that's all they'd ever known. A lot of times people who get into baseball, they stay there. They stay there for a long, long time. And so it was, it was kind of sad, really. It was, it was really sad. 
And my last game, they're throwing golf balls. The last home game, they're throwing golf balls <laughs> in the field. They had to stop the game three or four times and, you know, make an announcement to the crowd. And then the game ends. And I'm like, I, I, I shed a tear only because I'm like, I felt so bad for everybody there who'd grown up watching this team, who whose team had given them so much joy over the years. And now it is gone just like that. So it sucked. And I remember you know, going down afterwards and they were still playing music. And this is an hour or two hours after the game and people wouldn't leave their seats. They'd be sitting there finishing their beer, reminiscing or looking around or pointing at different areas in the park, you know, or Willie Stargell at that home run in right field and all kinds of, all kinds of stuff. So it was, it was, it was really sad. It really, really was, but I was really thankful for the experience for sure. Do you think the MLB will return to Montreal soon? Yep, I do. I do. Uh, I really think that that's going to happen. There's obviously been a groundswell here over the last few years. And, you know, I, I look at what happened to Montreal. Um, you know, obviously 94 played a big part in that. But I think about Tampa and all the good overachieving teams that Tampa's had and why Major League Baseball has been so patient when they had pretty much zero patience with Montreal doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It just doesn't make any sense. And now finally, people are starting to wake up and realize that that's a market that doesn't appreciate it. So why should they have a team? People don't attend. They have a great team every year. They're perennial playoff contenders, if not in uh, in the playoffs. And so enough's enough already. Get them out of there. Get them out of there. So I, I do think it'll happen. Um, you know, obviously the, the situation we're currently in has put pause on a lot of things. But I think the people who are, you know, apparently part of the ownership group have really gone about their business the right way. They've done their due diligence. They've used the, the Toronto Blue Jays games there in, in spring training as a way to say, hey, you know what, there's still a lot of interest for the game here. But it really, it's about finding finding that right niche. Getting a downtown stadium, which I know there's sites that they've been looked at and done studies on, making it about thirty or 35,000 people, making it so that you can play in some bad weather, whether that's retractable or, or whatnot. Uh, but I do think that there is some legs for Montreal's, uh, you know, return to Major League Baseball. That would be awesome. Well, it, it sounds like they're using the playbook of uh, Mark Chipman and uh, uh, David Thompson uh, with what the Winnipeg yeah. Jets did instead of Jim Balsillie when he was trying to barge his way <laughs> into the NHL. They're they're waiting to step by step. They're keeping quiet about it. And, and if you're going to package up the Tamp, uh, Tampa Bay Rays, why don't you package up the Florida Panthers, drop them off in Quebec while you're uh, on your way to Montreal as well yeah. because there's no need for two NHL teams uh, down there. But, Sam, you also had a chance to – uh, you know, cross back to the Blue Jays uh, where you started in the clubhouse and, and you know, work during broadcasts and, and things like that with the Toronto Blue Jays. So, you know, what was it like transitioning from, hey, I was a, a clubhouse guy, now I'm a, a on-field interviewing guy, different group of people for the most part. But, you know, what was that transition like as well for you? Well, it was weird because for all those years, I had access to every little corner of that stadium. I could literally walk anywhere. I had a pass and keys to go anywhere in the stadium. And I knew all the backdoor ways to get up to the hotel and where to go for food. And I knew all a bunch of people in the city for restaurant reservations. Like, I mean, I, I had it dialed in pretty good. And so then you walk in with a media pass and it's like, well, you can't come in at this time. You have to be out at that time. You can't talk to this person at this time. This person's only available then. And so now it's all kinds of structure that I was, wasn't accustomed to. So it, it was, it took a while for sure. 
And, it, you know, it took a while with a different group of players. There was still a few carryovers from when I had been around in terms of coaches and maybe the odd player. Uh, but it's trying to regain that trust as a person who is on the other side. Right. And that was, you know, I, I wasn't great at that, to be perfectly honest with you. It took a long time for me to kind of forge some of those relationships. Um, and, and be able to talk freely and openly to guys. And, you know, I'm, I was always good about keeping stuff off the record. If, if I knew it should be off the record, or if I was told it should be off the record, but it took a while to regain that rapport again. So that was a, that was a bit of a challenge, but, you know, I got up into the booth and got to call 25 games and as a play by play announcer in 2010. And that was kind of fulfilling a dream. I was horrible at that job. I thought it was going to be way easier than, than what it was. But I was terrible at it, and unfortunately, <laughs> it just uh, yeah, it didn't work out at it. Not not easy to admit you're really bad at something, but I got to tell you, I was not good at that job. <laughs> I, I wish I were better at it. <laughs> so you, you, from the clubhouse to the field, on field, into the broadcast booth, you pretty much worn every hat for the Jays. Now I gotta I gotta have you put on that maybe that fantasy prognosticator hat. And t- give me your take on uh, the window, the win for the Blue Jays right now with all that young talent. Yeah, it's it's amazing, and I, you know, I have a. Um, it's it's really challenging for me because, on all the years that I'd worked there, there was an affiliation in the organization to Canada, and most of the times that it started with Paul Beeson, it ran through Gord Ash for a long time. Andrew Tennis, who's still there, but doesn't have a, a, a huge voice. Um, obviously, Alex uh, and Propolis. Um, so th- there was always that. You always felt like there was a Canadian who had real say and real importance in the organization. And so I don't feel that that's the, the case anymore. Even from a business ticketing perspective, there's a few people that are still there from, from the days I was there, but mostly it's the you know, it's a foreign group of people to me. So that's been a challenge for me to really hunker down and, and be able to watch and really appreciate it. You know, having a son who, who's into baseball pretty good here has kind of revitalized that for me. But when I look at their, their group now and everyone talks about, you know, you know, Conine coming up and Bichette and Vladdy and Vigio. And, you know, of course, I watched all those guys in the golden age of when I was in the clubhouse and those guys were all amazing players. Um, are these guys going to be able to, to, to put it all together? I suppose that, you know, that remains to be seen. I think the organization feels that it's taken the steps to, you know, to address the, what had happened after 2016. I didn't like the way it was presented by the club as well. Our cupboards are bare and we don't have anybody left because we sold the farm to get in the playoffs in 2015 and 2016. I didn't appreciate that narrative very much. Because getting in the playoffs for the first time in a long time was extremely exciting for the city. Um, so I'm just slowly getting back into it. But there's no doubt those guys are extremely talented. You know, what it comes down to is being able to find the pitching. And, and what it comes down to is, is what's the competition going to be like in the division. And one thing you can be certain of in the American League East, you're going to always have three teams that are good. Baltimore, you can say, traditionally sucks. Tampa Bay is a perennial contender. And New York and Boston are always going to spend everybody so you know they're, they're going to be competitive. And that's the challenge that the Blue Jays are going to face. Maybe they can avoid a little bit of that if this COVID-19 plan goes forward with the 
with the 2020 season. Well, and you know, they went out and, and, and brought in a pitcher who was, who had received Cy Young votes in uh, Hinjin Ryu from the Dodgers. I don't, you know, the, the thing I've always said about that signing is he doesn't have Kershaw or Bueller to kind of uh, ha- add a little protection into the rotation, but we'll see what he ha- what, what will happen if there is indeed a season, Sam. And, and I guess that's where we'll go now is, you know, what do you think happens with the future? There's been this 82-game proposal. Uh, Bryce Harper put a 135-game proposal where you're playing basically almost two weeks straight. You get a day off every second Monday and doubleheaders on Sunday. Uh, but what do you think happens with the future of this current Major League Baseball season that we should be watching right now, if not for this pandemic? I'm fascinated by the few things that I've seen. No spitting. I've never, I've been around baseball my whole life. I don't see how you can tell people to stop doing that. And, then, and that includes people who aren't chewing. I mean, chew isn't a big part of the game anymore anyway. But, you know, clearing your throat or whatever, no spitting. I just don't see how that's going to happen and what are the repercussions if it does. Showering and coming to the to the ballpark in uni. I mean, you know, in college we had to do that a few times. But, you know, you're talking about big league guys who are used to getting all their stuff washed and whatever. I, I just don't see it. Um, leaving afterwards and, and not showering in the in the clubhouse. Uh, I mean, no high five. You should wear batting gloves. There's so many things that I've seen from the latest proposal that you know people might they might agree to it, but executing them is going to be an entirely different set of circumstances. You know, and the thing is, there's baseball does have some social distancing inherent in it. When you look at the you know the fielders. There's enough space between the field as well. Maybe not because of these stupid shifts. Yeah, ban the shift. You know, like, yeah, exactly. But there is some inherent in that. But you look at the catcher, the home plate umpire, and the hitter. They're with all, all within six feet of each other. Mm-hmm. And everyone, you know, you're going to have your hitters. And, you know, if they implement the DH, you get your 10 hitters. You know, so, or nine hitters, rather, that you're concerned about. So, I mean, I just, I don't see how they're going to execute it. I think they'll play, though. The thing for me is, I don't like hearing the stuff about, wow, look at the risks that we're taking, and I I don't want to play, and just pay me, and I'll sit at home, and whatever else. Like, that, that, that narrative scares me a little bit. You know, when it's the whole cost-sharing thing, oh, it looks too much like a salary cap. It's a one-year one-off, guys. Yeah. It's a one-year one-off. And my thought would be, like, if we're going to propose this and here are the rules that we're going to play by, and if you don't play, you don't get paid. So if you feel that strongly about, about protecting yourself and your family, and there no doubt will be some people in that position, and I respect that, then you will sit home and you won't get paid. I, I believe strongly in that. And if you're a guy who's like, I need to go out and I need support and I want to play, and yeah, I'll, I'll take some risks and and I'm going to abide by by those rules. And if you abide by the rules, the risk is mitigated considerably. And if Major League Baseball wants to pay for all the testing, and and they uh, find themselves buying tests outside of the of the the rest of the pool that would be available for anyone in the general public, then then good on them. But I I don't know. I I think they end up playing. To be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. And. <laughs> One of the funnier things that, that you brought up, Sam, that's been discussed out there is the, is the no spitting. Um, you know, I, I get it that if you're watching from afar, you may not think that, 
not spinning is a big deal, but when you're active and you're on the field and there's dirt and there's stuff going on and, and you get something lodged in your throat or, you, you know, you got a little bit of phlegm in your nose, you want to re- relieve that from the area. So putting a rule there that says you can't spit is going to be tough to enforce. And a great point. What are you going to do if someone does? Uh, we, we got an automatic 90 feet awarded. He just sat on the field. We're going to advance all the base runners. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, it's a bit silly. And the other thing I don't understand, and I'll just kind of reach this point and then move on, is if we've tested all these players and they're all negative and everybody's good to go, well, who cares if they're spitting? Who cares about social distancing? Nobody has COVID, apparently. You know, from the test, the test says, no, maybe you don't have it. Anyway, um, with all yeah, that, I, I, I see what you're saying. I don't know if we've, like, have we gotten to the point where the tests are, are that um, accurate, I guess. And so you <laughs> yeah. take the extra precautions. I mean, yeah. you never know what this goofball in the States here, what, what the truth is and what isn't, right? So <laughs> that that's, that's the hard part to kind of sort through. You know, what, you know, hey, everyone, just walk around and do whatever you want. Well, it's <laughs> not quite that easy. Like, you know, you got a lot of scientists saying that maybe you shouldn't quite do that. So, yeah. Well, I don't you know, know what, the, if, if, we, if we had had, a regular MLB season, the full 162. What were you looking forward to the most for this upcoming year? Oh, wow. I, you know, I, I'd never thought about that. I mean, the expanded playoffs would have been something of interest yeah. to me for sure. Um, you know, I, I really like the way it used to be. I, I like the four teams. I get it. There's no revenue in that, but I really liked it like way, way back. You know, I, I love that. You're you're a pennant winner. You play for the World Series. You know, you win your, when it was, you know, split up by division, you win your division and play the other division. You make up your your um, pennant champ and pennant champ goes and plays in the World Series. Like, I, I used to love that because it just puts so much emphasis on, on what you're doing in the regular season. Um, but the expanded thing, I guess, in today's day and age is something that I would I would be looking forward to. I, I like the one-offs of the really short series. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that. Like, let's go. Let's get after it. Let's let's manage. Like, I need to really win right now and let's not keep it in the bank. I, I like that. I like that part. All right, let's wrap up on this. Um, the Last Dance uh, has, is fully out, uh, all episodes on Netflix. I still have the last two to watch, so no spoilers, please. Um, the baseball yeah, where he, here. yeah, where his, his, you know, his father unfortunately passes away and he goes into baseball. But it's been, for me, it's been so fascinating. So, Sam, the question I have for you is, what team and season in Major League Baseball would you like to see a documentary series about and and you we all want to see Houston uh, and be, to see uh, everything that went on there but you know excluding the Houston Astros because I think that's a no-brainer for everybody is there a particular year and team you would love to see you know no holds barred coverage of for that entire season probably the 86 match oh yeah <laughs> yeah you're, you're I mean, I, I, you know, um, I think it was Jeff Croman's book, and I can't remember what it was, but this is going back away. And he got into a bit of what kind of a circus that team was like. You know, very little of it would be, I mean, acceptable at any time, but right. tolerated back in those days. And, you know, um, that would be fascinating. There was all kinds of characters and all kinds of 
suspected drug use and oh yeah that 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 would have been a pretty fascinating group of player personalities characters that you'd like the um you know the behind the curtains look at and Perlman did a pretty good job with it in his book Mm-hmm. but I think there'd be a lot more that, that probably made his cutting room floor that he would love to share. Well, the two things that stand out uh, if you did that is that I think Doc Gooden missed the parade because he was getting high. Uh, that's the, the story I've always uh, read, and I think there was a 30 for 30 about that. Uh, but the other thing is, if you're doing that season for the Mets, you are also covering one of the biggest errors, or whatever you want to call yep. it, all time in Major League Baseball, Bill Buckner. Like you would get both sides. Yeah, it's just a, a whole different element to that story. But yeah, I mean, a lot of bullpen characters, you know, <laughs> from the, that would have been a fun group to to really be a part of. Like, it, you know, I think a, a little bit about the 04 Red Sox, the 07 Red Sox, but we've been able to peek into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't that 86 Mets team, you know, another team, um, who, who was I thinking about? You know, you'd have to go back into the, you know, into the Joe DiMaggio days and see what it was like. Yeah, 1941. When the were traveling and winning, yeah. You know, that was the year. Wasn't that the year that Ted Williams almost hit 400? Well, he did hit, year, he hit, think, he hit 406. Yeah, Ted Williams hit 406, and that's the year the 56-game hitting streak happened. Like that, yeah, chronic, so, seeing what that was like, oh my goodness. Yeah, that would have been, that would have been pretty neat that i mean 56 games insane insane yeah yeah sam this has been a pleasure uh you know we usually i have you on sports some more and we talk uh, junior hockey uh but i love uh, hearing some baseball stories from you and and your journey uh to where you are now uh, best of luck whenever we get back to uh some sort of normalcy and you're back on the air talking hockey and uh maybe we'll uh we'll get you back on and uh, tell a few more clubhouse stories yeah. Oh, yeah. Sounds good. Thanks a lot for having me, Jordan. Thanks a lot, Dino. Yeah, thanks so much, Sam. Take care. Let's get back to the action. This is the Prospects Baseball Show. So many great stories from Sam Cosentino that we didn't even get a chance to get to. So, uh, Jordan, I think we'll be getting Sam back and maybe doing some uh locker room confidential or something like that yeah i love it clubhouse confidential yeah clubhouse confidential that is uh is beautiful some good stories and what do you think of the gambler from hats off to roy halliday i'm a big uh p rose fan and and that was cool man i appreciate uh him putting that song together for us yeah hopefully he'll put together some prospect songs at some point uh as well we'll have a whole soundtrack for this uh podcast but we do have a <laughs> a top five to get to and uh you and i are both uh, enjoying the last dance right now i'm a little bit behind you so i'm gonna get finish it off tonight so it got me thinking like what team and what seasons uh would you want to see a last dance type series that uh, we talked about our Oilers last dance that we would want to see. And the stipulation I put in this is I think we all would want to see in Houston Astros one from 2017, as hard as that would be for me to watch uh, them cheating against the Dodgers. It, I would want to, it would be fascinated if you had some sort of access that showed them doing that. So the caveat I had for this top five is we couldn't pick the Astros. Cause I think we would both want to see how they went like so deep into that cheating scandal. Wouldn't we? Oh, yeah, definitely. And uh, what I've read or heard recently is that uh, LeBron James Production Company, is they're, they're, they're taking on that project, uh, 
Oh, the 2017 Astros story. I would love to see that. Uh, yeah, I will keep my eyes peeled for that. All right, so lay on me your top five teams and seasons you would want to see as a last dance type series. Uh, start at number five and go to one. All right, number five, I'm going with the 1990 Cincinnati Reds. The bad boys, Rob Dibble, Randy Myers, Norm Charlton in the bullpen, and, and they brought some smoke. Dibble, he's a, he's a classic beauty. And then Lou Pinella is the manager, my big Barry Larkin, uh, Chris Stable with the goggles, and one of my favorite players of all time, Eric Davis. So that's my number five so teams I'd like to see a last dance on. Is that the, did Mark Schott still own them too then? I think. Yeah. So there, there's yeah. a whole, there's a whole ser- a whole episode just on her. Oh, definitely. Easily, easily with what was going on there. All right. What's four? Um, number four, 04 Expos last season. Mm-hmm. Um, need, need that story. Uh, sad day, sad day. I'm an expo fan, man. And I, I, what, what can you do? Yep. Your, your team, team moves away. It's uh, pretty sad. So I like to see that number three, I've got last year's Washington nationals. Worst uh. to first. I love the story there with Dave Martinez on the chopping block. I mean, I was very aware of what was going on, uh, with their record and, um, the turnaround that they made with Juan Soto coming out of nowhere and Bryce Harper leaving and them end up winning the World Series without him. And then anything with Max Scherzer in it is going to be gold. Strasburg's coming out party is one of the, the best of the best. Uh, Anthony Rendon. So there's some, some good storylines there. They had uh, Gerardo Parra with the, the dancing monkey. What was it? The dolphin. <laughs> yeah. One of those things. Uh, one of those cool things that, uh, you know, catches on. Uh, so that's my number three. The, the shark or season. something, wasn't it? Yeah, baby yeah, baby yeah. shark? Yeah, baby yeah. shark. Yeah. Uh, number two, I've got, I mean, how can you ignore this one? The, the Chicago Cubs break the curse 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, that ride, I mean, that whole season, um, I would love to know the ins and outs of, of how they went through spring training right to getting that ring and knowing knowing what that meant to millions of people, generations of fans, um, the lovable losers no more. I mean, there's Bartman's and like just the whole White Sox or Chicago Cubs history can be, you know, melded into kind of like the last dance, a flashback from previous years and, and the 2016 run. So I think there's something there. Uh, and then my number one, my number one last dance season, um, the 2004 Red Sox breaking the curse. Mm-hmm. And they had some characters on that ball club with Manny and Big Poppy and Kevin Millar and Pedro. Um, John Lester's actually a part of both those. Uh, it would just be a, a, a great, you know, same reasons as the Cubs. It's, it's Fenway, the curse. They beat the Yankees after going down three games to none. And I know they've done some stories on this, but I'd love to see the 10 episode last dance type um, hurrah for the 04 Red Sox. Cause I mean, they came over, they, they overcame the greatest adversity times too, being that they had a curse over them and the Yankees were up three L. So that's, uh, that's my top five. You know, what do you got for your uh, top five last dance type seasons for baseball? Well, I have uh, number five, the 1941 New York Yankee season, just to see how stressful that 56-game hitting streak was. 
Um, yeah. uh, and you know, just to, to see what that, what, what the was like, you know, it wasn't like the, the 61 homers, uh, with, with Maris, but also because you, you, you know, what I like about last dance is they, they do go back in time. It's not just about that yeah. season. Like they go and they explore the rivalry with the Pistons and Isaiah Thomas, not shaking hands. And by the way, I love Jordan. Uh, when they when they talk about the 92 Olympics and he was not going there with Isaiah spoiler alert I apologize for that for anybody uh, but so you have you so so I like how they do that they explore that they explore um, you know like the the Phoenix Suns a little bit with Barkley so you could explore also in that 1941 Ted Williams quest for hitting 406 I mean I don't know DiMaggio gets uh, MVP that year I look at Ted Williams and and you look at their numbers you compare them. Ted Williams had a higher war. Uh, he had less at bats, but he had way more walks, and he hit 406. I think hitting 56 straight games is impressive, but hitting over 400 for an entire season is harder. That's just my because you you have to be more more consistent for longer. But I would love to see just the the stress of that series for though for that season uh, for the for that reason. I have the Expos on my list at number four, but it's ninety four. Uh, just the emotions of of them being so good and and listen, there were other really good teams that year too. But that's the closest the Expos were were it's, uh, since eighty one basically. So just to see you know the rise of the Expos that season and then the crushing blow of them canceling the world series. I mean, you know, Expos fans. And then, you know, what was it less than 10 years or just over 10 years later, they're gone. So obviously that would be uh, an emotional one. Number three is, uh, you know, a movie that you and I both love. And, and it was a movie, uh, 42 about Jackie Robinson, but I would love to see that season, a 10 part documentary on that yeah. season. I mean, you know, <laughs> just the, the, the redneck racists would be one entire episode. If not more, the stuff that this guy, the that Jackie Robinson had to face um, and you know, tie in Montreal a little bit too, right? Because uh, he came from uh, there or played for uh, the, the farm team. So, so I think that would be historically neat. And then, um, you know, you look at uh, a season that, you know, has also racial tones and in, in historic chases, 1974 Atlanta brave season. But what I would do Jordan is I would go back and I would start the series with the second last game of 1973, because that's when Hank Aaron, everybody thought he was going to tie the record. He hit, uh, I think, 7-13 and then missed the, didn't hit one in the final game. So he said, he goes, I was worried about surviving the offseason because of the racial threats that this guy was getting. So Hank Aaron's chase, starting with 73 into 74, I think would be fascinating as well. And, and you know what my number one is going to be. It's the 88 Dodgers. Uh, you know, I'm reading a book about them right now, the, um, the improbable run, because that team shouldn't have beat the Mets. There's no way that they should have beat the Mets in the NLCS. And then they go on and they probably shouldn't have beat the A's too. But Gibson, that great all-time Dodger, set the tone in game one. And Ora Horsheiser, that, that whole season, right? Like he had that 59-game, 59-inning uh, scoreless streak. And yeah. um, so so there's a lot to, to shift around in that. And, and I'm a Dodgers fan. So uh, ESPN, there's our order. Our 10 different seasons we would like produced or whoever's <laughs> going to produce it. That's our order. We're putting it out into the universe. Yeah, ESPN the way there. Yeah, that's right. So anyway, <laughs> uh, hit us up on Twitter at uh, Prospects Pod and let us know what five teams and specific seasons you would like to see. I mean, 
you know, I, I know it's going to be pretty hard to interview Ted Williams about the 1941 season, but just imagining if they had that footage back then, because that's what makes the last dance great. I mean, the last dance would not be good if it was just Jordan and Pippen and Rodman and, and some of these writers uh, talking about the stories, if they didn't have the actual footage, I mean, the Jordan talking about the Olympics and how he was going to hide the Reebok logo. That's gold, Jerry. <laughs> Definitely, man. Yeah, the, this, the whole last dance has just been awesome, man. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the last two episodes. I'm looking forward to rewatching it, yeah. you know, six months to a year from now and kind of getting back into it. And, you know, what what an awesome competitor MJ was, eh? And, and there's so much tied into his success, uh, one being the Nike brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a big time player in, in the world economy. And, you know, that started with MJ. So pretty cool, man. Yeah, it's it's a great series. If you haven't, uh, for anybody who hasn't watched it, uh, check out Netflix and uh, send us your five uh, teams and specific seasons of Major League Baseball. You would like to see a Last Dance type series. That's going to wrap it up for us this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps us to improve the show. And if you'd like to be involved in the program, uh, send us an email, prospectsbaseballshow at gmail. Dot com. That's prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com if you would like to be involved as an advertiser. My man, Jordan, thanks so much for joining us. Stay safe. Uh, we will chat again next week, dude. Yeah, you as well, Dino. Stay safe. Great, great show. Great talking to you again, my man. We'll see you soon. You betcha. Our big thanks to Sam Cosentino of Sportsnet who joined us. He, like me, wants to do this. Ban the shift. <laughs> It's gone! It's a grand slam! And that's the ball game!